0: Since you're the host, okay. Hi, this is Nick
1: Dawson, the editor in chief of Talk House Film, and and we're here today to have a sort of slightly unusual episode. Elia, I'll, I'll let you explain what this
0: is because this is kind of your idea. I'm Elia Einhorn. I produce the Talk House Film podcast and host the Talk House Music podcast. Nick, we just wanted to take a moment to sort of look back on 2016, which was a huge year for our site, uh, both on the written side and on the podcast side and break down a few of our favorite moments because we, we put out a lot of podcasts on the film side last year, too many to talk about, but there were, on the one hand, some of our most popular episodes ever, uh, for example, Kid Cudi and Paul Rubens, yep. which we're going to talk about. That was awesome. And then there were some um, that, that, just for me personally, were my favorites, you know, uh, Michelle Gondry and Terrence Nance. So I just want to take the opportunity to sit down together and really look back at, at what was sort of a wild year for us here at the Talkhouse Film Podcast.
1: Yeah, it was a really good year. And I have to sort of give a, a little sort of caveat at the start, because I think that to sort of use a bit of a, a metaphor, it's kind of like the stuff that we're featuring today are kind of the breakout hits, but sometimes these podcasts are albums where all the songs are great, but maybe not one moment pops in the same way that some of these do. So it's like, we're not, we're definitely not playing favorites.
0: Oh, totally. I mean, our uh, engineer, Mark Yoshizumi, one of his favorites was Amber Tamblin with Aisha Tyler. An amazing talk that people really love, but that we just don't have time to go into right now. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll mention to all the listeners, if you've missed any episodes, feel free to go back to our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash thetalkhouse for all of the TalkHouse Music and film podcast. So anything we talk about here, and anything you might be curious uh, about that you missed this year.
1: Yeah, the thing I realized, I think I was present for all of these moments, and it's not true—not for the Max Landis one. But having edited all of them, sometimes it feels like I was there. But uh, a lot of these moments that we're we're going to feature are—I know it's the thing that you look for when you when you make your podcast. It's like you're sitting there and you're like, "Holy shit, this just happened," and and it's like. We're recording this and this is
0: going out into the world. It's pretty cool. You hit it on the head exactly, man. The the way I think about it is the most magical moments come when it's almost as if the conversations participants, it just seems as if they're sitting on bar stools, drink in hand, catching up on life, away from the rolling cameras, yep. you know, away from anyone taping the conversation. But we're taping the conversation. So yeah. it's these sort of intimate glimpses that we would never get otherwise. And, and if it's all right with you, I'd love to, to start with one of those moments. Um, sure. To me, one of the most powerful moments uh, from this last year's uh, crop of podcasts came during Michel Gondry and Terrence Nance talking. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could mention a little bit about the film that Gondry was in town promoting.
1: Sure, uh, the, the movie's called Microbe and Gasoline and it's, it's, sort of a, it's a very personal movie for him. It's a coming-of-age love story and it's sort of based on his, his personal experience of being in love with, with his best friend, a girl, um, and having a male best friend who is kind of the person who's helping him grow up. But uh, it's an unrequited love story and uh, I really love the movie. And, and It's funny, I remember Ellie, you and I and, and Terrence had breakfast beforehand and I forget maybe I'm like fabricating this memory but I have this memory that he'd like written a few notes and he was he said he was going to ask him about his love life and I was like this could be interesting cuz like you know Gondry's not the most forthcoming guy always but there, he was open in this conversation in a way that was like completely unexpected and and I think it was Terence's openness totally that led to that
0: Terence definitely opened the gates on this and 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 I think uh, in my experience reading Gondry's interviews he's definitely an artist where you see his heart more through his films than right. by what he as the artist is saying in an interview yeah
1: i think that's a perfect place to just let the clip play
2: when i was watching the movie i was watching it and i was thinking of his dilemma with this, with laura, laura, lauren laura. laura laura and i was thinking you know i thought about um the main character in eternal sunshine and, I, and the couple at the end of we and i and like all the sort of stilted romance. And I was like, what is your love life like? Like that was my main <laughs> thing. What is my love what life is your, like? Yeah. Like.
3: Why? It's a disaster.
2: <laughs> is it a disaster or is it like a ride? Is it like a roller coaster? You know what I mean? Like is yeah. it like an earthquake or a roller coaster? Earthquake. So, so you have no control? You didn't even get on? It just happens?
3: You mean in general or for the, in this... I guess
2: right now like while you were making this movie what was it like
3: I can't even talk about (laughs) it.
2: (laughs) it leaves you speechless okay
3: (laughs) alright alright I say my girlfriend was pregnant and she dumped me see how bad it can be (laughs) that is the I say it here because she would never uh, hear it I I hope she
2: won't wait wait she was pregnant with you all's child
3: sorry with, with, with my you, child yes. your child and she yeah, dumped you still trying to make it work but this is a roller coaster
2: so what <laughs> so yeah, okay all scrum, my questions are the rest is terrible <laughs> wow so is that but is that is that typical of like your whole is that situation? this
3: this is one that's really sort of fun talk about and you can describe (laughs) the the gravity of the situation in one sentence (laughs) so that's why I I talk about it like that no and each film I've done reminds me of a breakup or uh, which generally is me being dumped (laughs) Uh, so it's painful to watch them because they're all attached to this relationship that end up, uh, maybe I should draw a conclusion and try to change something <laughs> 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 not switch it enough. Up. Uh, yeah I think so
2: <laughs> now I mean like do you feel like I know I'm not monogamous uh-huh. so like I know that I don't process the world from a monogamous framework even if I am just with one person yeah. at, at any given moment so do you do you feel like I mean at that moment you clearly feel monogamous, but do you feel like your life has played out in a way that Well, I think
3: that? how it works for me is like if I'm in love with a woman mm-hmm. a girl uh there is this pattern in when I uh, hope for the relationship to happen, I'm totally monogamous because a- any other girl uh don't uh, it's not up to the same level mm-hmm. in, in my uh, view. Uh, then the relationship, if it happens, same. And then there is moment where uh, the relationship is not based on uh, unbalanced love or desire. It balances out and you're just having good time. Mm-hmm. Then I can start to look around and fancy other girls. Not that I'm gonna do a, a move, uh, <laughs> but I think, but I think uh, my issue is, uh, I think love is this moment of frustration of not getting the girl uh, mm. I want, and then when the relationship works, it happens sometimes, uh, <laughs> that should be the real love. Uh, but mm-hmm. I don't see it this way.
2: So love is the conflict. Love is the un- it's is unrequited uh, inherently.
3: It's yeah,
2: like, man, that's
0: terrible.
3: I know. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for saying that.
0: Nick and I both made the same edit. This was part of both of our notes about our favorite moments of this year. And I think it's because we have one of the leading lights of cinema in our time really opening his heart and contextualizing his sort of body of work in a way that we've never heard before. Yeah, yeah.
1: You and I were in that. were in the room when this this happened, and uh, it was it was really eye opening or ear opening, I guess, to be to to be there and to be hearing that. And and the podcast ended with Terrence and, and Gondry Gondry uh, like pledging to go jam together, which was just awesome. And uh, they wanted I, to play
0: some music together. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So because they're both musicians as well as filmmakers. So yeah, that was really cool. And and um and they had never met before that point, of course. And can we go on? Because I, I was thinking like, it might make sense to, as a nice thematic link to, to
0: have two other people who had not met previously as well, which is A.D. Bryant and Jesse Klein. Which was such a great talk. That one took place as part of our series at Samsung 837, mm-hmm. which is Samsung's flagship store in the Meatpacking District in New York City.
1: I mean, it's it's funny because we got two from that Samsung series. Uh, this one and then Chris Gethard and, and uh, Tim Heidecker, which we'll come to. Uh, in a moment but it was weird having comedians because both pairings are, are two comedians and comedians are so used to just basically saying whatever they want to, to be able to swear and the rules of the store when we were doing these events was basically no cursing and nothing Nothing too
0: blue. As too they blue. Say. Like yeah, it- we we sort of told the guests talk show rules. Talk show rules. Talk show rules. Because there were kids walking around. You know, it's a it's sort of a very cool virtual reality station there. So yeah, there's families walking around, and and at the same time you have these comedians, like you say, who are yep. used to saying whatever they want. Now, Nick, could you tell the listeners just a little bit about? Aidy and Jesse. Sure. Well, I mean, Aidy,
1: I think in a way is she's much more the the sort of in front of the camera talent. She's from SNL and she's kind of guested on uh, documentary now, and and she was on Horace and P and Broad City, and she's just one of my favorite comic performers, probably. And and Jesse Klein is she works on Transparent right now. She's I think, Amy Schumer's best friend and also her her showrunner on Inside Amy Schumer.
0: That's sort of where she really made her name. She was around before that, yeah. obviously, but that show has been a, a smash.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of um, helped elevate her to um, sort of the status that she's at right now. And she, she, she'd she written a book of essays uh, called You'll Grow Out of It, which was coming out. And, and so it was a perfect opportunity to get the two of them together. And they follow each other on Twitter and I always have this thing of like, oh, they, they must know each other. The comedy world is very small. But, eighty uh, is, is New York and, and had used to be but is not anymore so she now lives in LA. And so, they had never met but they turned up both with their lattes and the kind of, I forget what it was but they, they, they were like, oh, look, we're the same person and, you know, they know so many of the same people and this, this moment was I think literally the last five minutes of the podcast and, a lot of the moments we're featuring are from pretty late on. And I think it's telling that it's kind of when people have really kind of warmed up and opened up and and sort of the chemistry is kicking in and you have these moments that are revelatory. So yeah, this is both of them sharing and it's an example in a way that the Gondry-Terence-Nance thing is a little bit similar of people following each other's lead and being... Being vulnerable and and yeah. allowing themselves yeah. to be embarrassed in in a in a, a either a comic way or, or a very sort of vulnerable way.
4: Ooh, I have good yeah. questions. Like, who who who's been like your big SNL host
5: crush? I mean, it's, it's, no, it's not embarrassing, and I will do a full separate podcast about
4: it. (laughs) No, we finally found our topic.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you quite honestly, in a way that, like, I went into the week being like, oh, I don't know, I'm a fan, but, like, I don't care, and I left the week being like, I have been touched by an angel, and this man rocked me to my core as Drake. Yes. Please. Whoa. Like,
4: that is very good to hear because Drake is also on my radar. Whoa, very cool and, to hear <laughs> that we're sharing a radar. And nice to know that he's not a disappointment because it almost seems You too know what? Perf.
5: It almost is like fueled by the personality. Yeah. So then for when sure. when the looks are like just also like a bonus. Yeah. What, but it's Drake? You're yeah. like, oh, this is too much also, to Also, his name's Drake. I know. And he's Jewish. Oh, he's got it so going and on. And Canadian. Also, like, you know... Like at SNL, people come with assistance or whatever. He basically just brings like a group of friends and they're all so nice and they're all so cool and they all like hang out all week and like, really? yes. And he like got, he like got us a dinner one night and everyone like had dinner and all his friends were there and you they like really brought a little like sound system to like play music and a little candle to like set he the mood He brought a little
4: candle and like
5: okay that full compassion set me off They left the candle and I took it <laughs> And I refuse to burn it. I just keep it in my house like a maniac.
4: Okay, wait. Can I tell you an even more embarrassing story? Yes,
5: please. This was that's the most humiliating thing I, I could ever even tell you.
4: Because I think I actually could get in some sort of trouble. <laughs> that's how
5: I feel right now. So no, please for the share candle, with me. Drake
4: would love to know you have his candle. Okay.
5: So <laughs>
4: hi. I one of my faves uh, is um, Leev
5: Schreiber. Oh yeah, Leev. Yes, Leev. We I have, live for it and I don't know, but I like it. We have Schreiber yeah.
4: of Ray Donovan and yes. many other things. Um, I just think he is basically like a lion on hind legs. <laughs> I love staring at him and Whoa. thinking about him and looking at him you, and watching him. And you I've just seen turned him me on into Broadway.
5: Dom DeLuise.
4: And, oh, just when when a man is so handsome, like I once saw Clive Owen at the Four Seasons gym in LA, and I was like, "Oh, he's a wolf on hind legs in the best way." <laughs> That's he's cool. also in my top three. But anyway, so Leah Schreiber is like a longtime fave, and me and my one of my best friends have like together gone to see him on Broadway. He's an incredible talent. I don't want to, whatever. He's a piece of meat. I love yes. him. And um, so I'm like, why do I feel the need to be like? He's also good at his job. <laughs> Gives them, whatever. So, um, I, um, two weekends ago, I was in Portland, Oregon to do some whatever thing, but it was the first time I was away from my baby in, like, a long
5: time, wow. which means I was
4: psyched. Yes, you were- <laughs> Missed him very much, but also was
5: like, I- I'm alive and I'm ready to I'm get alive down. alive,
4: and, well, by ready to get down, you mean, I'm going to go get lunch by myself at a restaurant and get super drunk at 1 <laughs> p.m. That's what I was doing, because you don't get to do that as a mom. So I'm sitting alone, getting hoisted, just so <laughs> happy to have time by myself and my friend out of the blue. This is a long story. The payoff of my number I'm day. here for it. My friend, who is in the process of moving and therefore is digging out all the stuff in her apartment, she used to work for a casting director- like 15 years ago. She found her old phone message pad.
5: Oh, God.
4: And she texts me a photo of the message pad that has Liev Schreiber's cell phone number on it. And she's like... I'm rock hard right now. (laughs) She's like, oh, my God, I once took a message from Liev Schreiber. And I was like... Oh, my God. I was like, is that still his number? And she's like, oh, I don't know. There's no way. It's from 15 years ago. And I was like, well, no one changes their cell phone number. And she was like, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's still his number. And I was like, well, I'm calling it. And she, all caps, was like, what? And I'm like, calling. We'll let you know how it goes. And I'm like, I'm so drunk. I'm 40 years old. And I'm like, teep, teep, teep. And I'm just like, I'm just going to listen to his voice on his voicemail and hang up and then it rings like two times whoa baby and then hello <gasps> and he
5: picked up the phone oh my god
4: and i'm like
5: what did you do
6: <gasps> i said this was
4: i had <laughs> this is why i'm bad at improv i said hi is david there and he, That's good. to create a conversation yes. and he said david and i said yes david <laughs> and he said I think you have the wrong number. And I said, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And I was acting. Good. <laughs> and acting. I did it. And he said, "No problem." And then we hung up. Oh my but god. But we
5: spoke. Yeah, I'm high from it. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and then I was just like, "What is my life? <laughs> what is my life?" You were truly free in that moment. I was so I felt more myself than I've ever been in my life. I was like, "I think this is who I this is the real me." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, Amazing. Yeah. Sadly for 80, we know in 2017 something she could never have known then, which is that Drake is really a J-Lo man.
1: Well, there's a lot of stuff that's happened since that podcast that is worse than that. So I think hopefully she can let it go.
0: (laughs) Very well said. Now, what was the vibe in in the booth at Samsung during this conversation?
1: This is really fun. I, I think there's like certain podcasts that you do where as an employee of the talk house you're just desperately trying to not be on the
0: tape you're trying to not laugh oh god i know that feeling yeah every time we do one with fred Armisen, this is my problem yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: i've kind of learned to perfect the the silent laugh like that you got the 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 smile muscles before you you just you just don't laugh
0: what you listeners can't see is Nick is contorting his it's face. It's a horrible, right now.
1: horrible smile, but it's it's where it's gotta go. It's sort of
0: a joker-esque yeah. visage. <laughs> 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 now on that note, we we had another one from uh Samsung 837, mm-hmm. two comedians, and and this one, we sort of all got involved accidentally. Yes. Uh <laughs> this is Chris Gethert of so many things. His podcast has exploded since this yeah. happened. Yeah. Then he was promoting the Chris Gethard show, yeah. which had just kicked off and was sort of a new format. Yeah. So I feel like there's, there's a thing that happens sometimes. It kind of
1: happens often when two famous people get together. They're very friendly, but there's like this sort of very slight competitive thing. With, with Chris and Tim, they both have these reputations for being kind of like wacky. And this is Tim Heidecker. Tim Heidecker. Of right, Tim and Eric. Right, who had a um, a record
0: out. Yeah, we had a huge turnout for that. There there must have been 100 kids in the bleachers watching their three-story screen that we were projecting the talk onto yeah, There, yeah. live.
1: And I think that both of them sort of felt a responsibility to deliver, to give the people what they wanted. And and the way that that manifested itself was, I think it's first like a couple of people they, they invited into the studio. I think somebody was wandering past and they were like, we should get that person to come in, and right. then
0: first, they started running commentary yes on people outside, and then they escalated it into why don't we invite them into yeah, the booth? Like, we're not being wacky enough, right? And the booth is not, it's not a big booth there, it's maybe you know 15 by 15 or so. Yep. And there's already a number of us in there there's uh, a publicist or two, there's myself, and we have an engineer from Samsung at a big, at a big desk. A big desk big with desk. a lot of equipment, turntables, yep. and yep. you know they often have DJs there. So this is a pretty tight space. If you can, as the listener, if you can picture this,
1: yeah. And this was this was the final group of people, and we'd had sort of like twos and threes in at once, and then this was just like, let's get as many people in as possible.
0: Right. They just kept inviting more and more people. Yeah. And and I tried to do sort of a revolving door thing, and, and you can hear as I was mixing this podcast there's just no way to cover up the sound. I had to open the door to let people in. So I was standing at the door, Nick, of this booth, this clear booth, so people can see from outside. And like I say, we have, you know, a hundred or so kids, fans watching. And I'm going, come in and don't swear. Right. Go out, thank you come in and don't swear. Go out. Thank you. I'm sort of <laughs> hustling people in and out as as Chris and Tim are dictating, and all of a sudden there's got to be and there's a picture of this that we tweeted out at the time from the uh Talkhouse Twitter account, but there must have been 15, 17 people in there.
1: I think it was I think it was maybe 10 people.
0: 300. There were like 300,
1: 300 people. 300 people. Yeah. They were from Sparta. <laughs> so, it was You'll hear what happens. Take a listen
7: okay, hi everyone. Can we all just yeah, say I our do. names one
0: by one? I'm Derek. Derek uh, Ben. Kevin. will
8: Dom. I'm Nick. And let's get a nice five part harmony. Ready? Yeah. On I'll go, uh, uh. God okay. only knows from one. King of the zombies, we got a, yeah, shirt. The King we of the got a shirt. Are you a horror freak?
5: Uh actually my um my ex-girlfriend's dad made made film shirts, and, oh, okay. uh, and so this I is ben, got one. And this Ben, or Ben, correct? Yeah. Yes, Ben.
0: Yes. yes. So I got one. But. Oh, that's great. He's,
8: I have to tell you something. Yeah. I mean, this is a handsome guy. Oh.
0: For anybody like just listening, I don't know, this is a striking I'm like, and
7: intimidatingly handsome man. Yeah, yeah. I'm like lost yeah. in his eyes yeah. right now. And stylish. You can't see his sneakers, but they're beat up in a really perfect oh, way. Really? And he's fit, too. Yeah, he's fit. like muscular. I noticed I it. Veins. I noticed it. But he's
8: got glasses, so he's obviously but a little intellectual. Stylish glasses, Stylish though. glasses. See-through glasses. Clear. It's making the rest of you guys look like dog dirt. (laughs) Sorry. You, I could deal with. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the earrings gotta go.
0: Oh, no, they're new. (laughs)
8: Oh, why does anyone get earrings? (laughs) Yeah, that's a new earring. That wasn't something you got in like sophomore year of high school.
6: I hadn't got
2: paid in a long time and I wanted to celebrate so I got my ears pierced. That's you were cool.
8: celebrating not getting paid? No, <laughs> I got paid. I, okay. I hadn't been paid for a long time. I got like... How much does it cost a guy to get his ears pierced these uh, days? Like, 30, 40 bucks. Where'd you yeah. get paid? What was the and big job? I,
2: I was working on a an underwear, com- a Chinese underwear commercial. <laughs> were you modeling? Were you modeling it? No, no, no. It was a it was a cartoon commercial. Um, ah. It was
0: for underwear that separates your penis from your balls. Ooh, you I could see that being useful. And no, I'm being you, t- we're being we
7: were told that will be edited out. <laughs> uh, let me try to restate that in language that might be appropriate. He said that His uh, no, I, I, we we're on sitcom rules here. <laughs> Although we violated them liberally the thus far. Word. You worked on an ad for underwear that separated different distinct portions of male genitalia. Oh, that's very well done. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> so, wow. yeah, that was, yeah, the, again, they <laughs> were they were adhering to those tricky rules. And, you know, Jesse and Adie and Chris and Tim were both really, really good at, at, at modifying the way that they
0: the way they would Channel their something. humor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, Jesse Klein in that last clip that we played, uh, you know, she talked about how she wished during her conversation with Liev, she wished she'd had some more uh, improv training. Well, Chris Gethard and Tim Heidecker, they've got that. I mean, these guys are so sharp. They're so on top of it. And, yep. and it, was, it was just so magical to watch them work the crowd the way they did. It, it was like being at a stand-up comedy show. And it was sort of cool the way that they reinterpreted what a podcast could be in that way. I think, I think Tim was getting bored. And that's, I think that's
1: maybe what makes a great comedian, that you get bored very, very quickly. So you need to switch it up. You need to make it different. You need to make it interesting. You need to make it
0: weird. Constant insanity. Yeah. Now, talk about constant insanity. We're going to move on to another clip. This one was recorded in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, this wasn't here in New York, where we're based. But this was Joe Dante and Max Landis. <laughs> now, if you listen to the full podcast you'll hear that Max Landis is not represented in this clip, but Max Landis was doing other things. He was in constant motion yep. the whole time. Nick, remind me, yeah, Joe Dante runs we, we actually runs have this, down. this on the TalkHouse's YouTube channel. We
1: have a video of this that, that the engineer took video of. He was like doodling. He He had like Nerf darts that he was doodling on with markers and he was writing down, you know, Stuff on a whiteboard, and it, I don't know. It was he,
0: he's in constant motion. He is, and the interesting thing is, you would think that that would somehow show in the audio, in in the sort of right continuous conversation. You would just have no idea if if Joe Dante hadn't hadn't brought that up. So Nick, set up this next clip between Joe and Max.
1: So so here's the thing: Max Landis is. I, I said this in the intro to the podcast itself. Like he is, kind of much loved, and maybe even more derided and 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 hated and, uh, among sort of hollywood and fanboys in a way maybe but he's he's a divisive figure he is a character and he's a definitely a character he is he's there's a lot of energy
0: potentially and, hypomanic i'm going to say
1: yeah sure yeah but he manages to to transform that into Something pretty cool in in the way that he pitches because when he pitches, it's it's. I, I personally find it really infectious, and I can understand that his level of enthusiasm in a room where you know you have a lot of nervous people coming in to pitch, or a lot of maybe apathetic people, or people who know their project inside out. Max is he writes really quickly and he thinks really quickly, and and I think that you know his ability to really transform that into something compelling is pretty cool. It's funny. It, as I said, we have a video of of this moment, and in the YouTube comments, uh, it's it was really interesting to see the way that people were divided on how they felt about it, and also sort of their interpretation
0: of how Joe Dante felt. So this, what we're talking about is... Um, so for those who don't know Joe Dante, if you've somehow been living under a rock, this is the guy who did these sort of amazing movies from my youth, and and maybe just a little before, but he did the Burbs, of course. He did uh, Inner Space. But what he's really known for is Gremlins and Gremlins 2. So in this moment, Max Landis has decided to pitch, to use his pitching skills on Joe Dante regarding his franchise. And people are pretty much polarized in
1: terms of their interpretation of how Joe feels. They can see his face. And, you know, Joe and Max are friends. That's why they did this thing together. But It's funny, like, just to read you a couple of comments. And one of them is like, I want to see this now. Uh, Like, as much as I prefer a non-found footage Gremlins film, this actually sounds pretty awesome. This sounds amazing. But then there's people saying, like, Dante's face when he starts in on his pitch is the personification of being polite. Dante is being so polite, but you can tell he wants to crawl out of his skin. To me, this is all people just going, like, I personally can't stand it. I'm transferring all this stuff onto Joe. Let's take a
6: lesson. Did I ever tell you, you know, I pitched briefly on Gremlins. Did I tell you what my pitch was? No. It starts as a, it's a found footage movie because they were like, we want to do Gremlins found footage. And I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Because I realized if you got a Gremlin for Christmas, you would be filming it all, all the time. The time. <laughs> if you got a Mogwai. So my movie started with a kid getting two Mogwai, both of which are good. One seems bad, but they are both sweet and it's this girl gets two mogwai that don't get along and she has trouble she likes one of them more than the other one there's sort of an ugly one that seems mean and then she's filming them constantly and then lo and behold they get wet and the gremlins multiply and so for the first act of the movie it's like a cute animal youtube video you know and we get this good look this look into these teenagers lives through i love writing found footage because it's it, it it allows you to do scenes Chronicle is really the best example of this is it allows you to do scenes that you would never get in a normal movie because they're so small and weird. Just a camera comes on and someone's just doing a weird dance and the camera turns off again. And, and I wanted it to be for the first act. Oh, cute animals. I'm using these animals to spend more time with this boy I like. I'm using these animals to connect with my mom, who's like, what type of animal is this? And is getting really fixated with Wikipedia and is looking up this incident at the Clamp, you know, the Clamp Tower. And she's like, Clamp? Isn't he running for president? You know, like Trump, you know? And and then the second act is, you know, Eat After Midnight. There's way more of them. Is like a disaster movie except for very funny and wacky as the gremlins begin to be everywhere. And, you know, they're filming them like, Oh Jesus, the town spins out of control. But then what I wanted to do is in the third act of the movie, the gremlins get the camera and they, they, uh, they are filming our leads. And suddenly since gremlins are lemurs, man, they move, especially with CG. Now I'd want to have a lot of puppet gremlins, but a lot of CG gremlins. So we could have so many like the big scenes in clamp, but since I want scenes, I had this idea for this chase where the gremlins are chasing them. And the way they're chasing them is by jumping and running along lampposts and billboards in the side of buildings in the town. But the gremlins think it's so funny to film them that our heroes are running up basically the middle of the street. And we are getting a steady cam crane shot as the gremlins are passing the camera back and forth. To each other from above, chasing the heroes, and you get a third. You suddenly can make it like a real movie because a gremlin can be anywhere. And you know the you hear the gremlins saying like, oh, "Go wide, go wide, go wide." Oh, it looks great. You know you're like hearing them so impressed with their own filmmaking. I don't know. I, I always wanted to. Tell so you about who those. did you pitch this to? Uh, m- my managers and agents, and then an exec somewhere at Warner Brothers who was like, "Well, we're not going to reboot Gremlins anytime soon." And then apparently they've been trying for years uh and they're like we just can't break it how can a movie be scary and funny it doesn't make sense
0: yeah
1: he's uh he's a character
0: (laughs) (laughs) he is i mean you know it's funny because i I, i'll be honest i do not want to watch that movie i don't think i could take an hour and a half of that so although i do like the go wide go wide i love that
1: this is the thing i i he does have this ability to just sell me on stuff
0: he does man yeah
1: and then there's two people that we're going to end with who I was really surprised that I was able to sell them on this idea. And that was kind of the remarkable thing. I, I discovered uh, in, in the months leading up to the, the new Pee Wee Herman movie coming out that Kid Cuddy was a, a big Pee Wee fan. And I was like, that would be so cool
0: if I could get them to sit down together. Right. We talked about this. It was one of those moments, you know, the way so many of these TalkHouse podcasts come together is us sitting around and saying, what would be fucking cool to listen to? Who who would we love to hear in conversation? Now, you came up with this, mm-hmm. and we all agreed it was a great idea, but it was sort of one of those like, okay, we're going to swing for the fences, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. I was yeah. not
1: holding my breath. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, so I emailed Cuddy's manager and... You know, he just was like, "Yeah, he'd love to do this. Whatever, whenever, wherever. Just say, just just tell us the info." And and, and. you'd
0: really correctly read the magnitude of fandom and respect that Kid Cudi has for Paul Rubens. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I just found you know I found out on Twitter that that like he was a Peewee fan, and that was I was like, it was just this little shred of
0: something. So you hopped on a plane from Brooklyn, you flew out to Los Angeles, yes, to uh, to help facilitate this. Yeah.
1: I was there because I was just like, it was this weird thing of like, I do not, like, I want to be on the ground for this thing because I do not want this thing to fall through.
0: Right, and sometimes we'll produce by phone. We'll, we'll hire an engineer or a studio in Los Angeles. Yeah. We'll have them patch us in by phone. We'll talk to the artists. But this one, you were there. You flew in for this. This was a big one. And, 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 and I just want to say parenthetically, this turned out to be one of the most popular episodes of the TalkHouse podcast that has ever come out. And that includes TalkHouse music and TalkHouse phone podcasts. Yeah. People Love this one, yeah. Why? I think
1: for me, sometimes the, the, the really special thing is is when something's surprising, and you know, there was a news element to this as well because Cuddy talked about the he was writing a, a, a pilot for a TV show, and and Paul Rubens was he wants him to be in it, so that that definitely helped. But I think that people were just like, wow, like those two guys, they're they're talking to each other and they're they're friends, and I think that. There's one thing worth worth mentioning is uh, as the podcast was about to start, I just sort of explained the format to Paul and I said, you know, he's going to be asking you questions most of the time, but, you know, I try and ha- make it be that there's like a back and forth.
0: Right, these aren't interviews. These are conversations.
1: Yeah, and I was like, so, you know, you can ask him questions as well. If there's stuff that, that you want to find out about, you should just ask him. And he didn't really respond, but the thing that I really think made this conversation what it is is that paul's generosity and and the way that he sort of turned things on to cuddy and 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 asked him questions it really opened him up and you know obviously since since this conversation this more stuff has come out about cuddy and, and and the stuff that he's been dealing with that makes a lot more sense when you listen back again it's one of those moments where in the room you're you're like this is a special thing that, that I'm getting to listen to
0: and Nick when you mentioned what he's been going through for the listeners who, who maybe aren't aware he's had some very serious depression issues yeah uh, he actually went to I, I, I'm not sure what you call uh, a psychiatric facility of some sort he went into rehab yeah and, and
1: he's he's out now again and I, I his his new record is very much addresses a lot of the issues uh, that, that he was dealing with as well
0: so Nick this particular clip that we're gonna play for them, what's happening in the conversation
1: so they first met at a at an hbo emmy's party in, in 2011 and this is them talking about that moment when they first met you looked at me and you did kind of geek out and i did the same thing
7: yeah. uh, i mean and you said this already we had this very real moment i felt like where we yeah. just went, like went like
9: i like you and you like me yeah. and like let's say i yeah and i was definitely in a weird place in my life at that time and and I mean, cause fame is a weird thing, and I was adjusting. So to see you brought me back to Scott in the midst of Kid Cudi, HBO. You know what was happening? How to Make It in America. It brought me back to like this kid, and it was like pure in the moment. So that that's why I say I, it's something I always remember. Cause at that time I was definitely troubled and dealing with a lot. You know, just I think I released. I was working on releasing my second album by then. I had the HBO show going on. And I didn't know what the fuck was going on and like in the, around me. You it's know, who confusing, to trust. it's yeah, a it's yeah. a
7: weird time
9: for so, sure. Yeah, so it was like, man, I didn't know if I was ever gonna make it past that year. So I was like, man, I saw Paul Rubens, man, yeah. <laughs> I can die tomorrow, yeah, it's cool. I felt the same way, yeah, I really did. That I, I
7: remember that moment really, really
9: crystal clear like five yeah. years ago. Hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. Then that's, I don't have, um, I think the other person I met that night where I geeked out was Stan Lee and, and that's the only other person I met that night. It's interesting because he said he knew who I was and I was just like I didn't know but it doesn't matter I was like man this is pretty awesome but I don't I don't meet people like that and I don't go to those parties anymore so when I do connect with people it doesn't even matter in the business in life I, I, I like to keep them you know and stay close to them is that's a that's a, a a real connection a real energy that you just can miss in a town like this you also yeah. like to get, like, you're like, I said a
7: minute ago, you're you're funny, but you're also very serious. Like, that's yeah, a great yeah. mixture. That's, a, that's I feel like that's my mixture. That's Joe's mixture. Like, yeah. a lot of my friends and people that I connect with, it's fun. Like, when, when we first hung out, the first time we hung out after we met, we got, like, deep really fast. Yeah, like, we yeah, just yeah, yeah. all of a sudden were having, like, a real serious conversation oh, yeah. about stuff we covered like funny subjects but yeah. we but we got real serious too and that's yeah. always like refreshing is like kind of a bad word i don't know what's no, the right word I mean, but the refreshing I, but I like is the that. word
9: i mean for sure cuz it's a, when did, when do you have that in this town and, and two people from two different worlds and You know, in a day and age where everything's so... Everybody wants to be so segregated and it's all the shit going on in the world and and there's so much ugliness. It's like, man, we need more love and and people embracing one another in that way. Just, you know, appreciating each other's art is a a great start. And um, I don't know, man. I'm I'm just big on just being being up (laughs) front about shit. And especially when... Someone has touched my life in a way, especially through their work, and you have. Um, we didn't have shit, but we had a TV, and we had you on Saturdays and Sundays, whatever it was. I think it was Saturdays, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, that was cool. It helped us forget about what was going on. The fact that we didn't have much, but we had fucking PB's Playhouse, and that was cool. Nick, I really I feel like that's powerful on a couple levels. Um,
0: on the macrocosmic, obviously... Um, Cuddy's talking about, I mean, so many things, man, the, you, you know, there's obviously, the socioecon- so, there's obviously the socioeconomic stuff he's talking about,
5: mm-hmm.
0: but, um, there's also this sort of theme, which, which we noticed in a number of podcasts throughout the year of the sort of redemptive quality of art, the sort of ability of art to help people through these horrible times in their lives, yeah. you know, horrible for myriad reasons. On the sort of microcosmic level, it's so powerful because this is a guy who's now, I think, 32, Kid Cudi. Mm-hmm. He's talking about meeting Stan Lee and Pee-wee Herman at a party. These are huge figures for for our generation. You know, Stan Lee, who runs Marvel Comics, and Pee-wee, who's fucking Pee-wee. <laughs> Cudi is this guy who's, a great collaborator. Anyone who follows his music knows this. He's worked with a lot of big rappers, a lot of big producers. He's a very collaborative guy. And here he is connecting in the same way that he does musically with Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. That's the only podcast I've ever flown somewhere.
1: And it may be the only one I ever fly somewhere to, to, to be present for. But, um, you know, and ent- entertainers, actors, musicians, you know, they're the way that they're able to be present... When there's all this other stuff going on, is a very particular thing, and you know, I think when the 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 moments that we've featured on this podcast are often an example of of the way that people are able to forget all that other
0: stuff and just be themselves with with another person. It's so true, and and I don't want to be too hyperbolic on this, but I do just want to acknowledge that I found Cuddy's candid approach to his conversation with Paul to be very inspirational. And, and and that's something that thematically was really big to me throughout this year's podcasts. Um, from, from Jesse Klein being able to sort of laugh at her own ridiculous behavior, to Michel Gondry's ability to explore the way that pain has informed his art over decades, mm-hmm. to Terrence Nance's just Willing to be so candid in a way that's typically not sanctioned by the media. Yeah, um, and, and I was very inspired by these people.
1: That's this. I love my job. It's pretty awesome. One of the thing you said about Cudi, uh, th- he said at one point during the podcast, he was like, "I was going to email you about this, but I wanted to save it." And I think it is that thing of like you have two people in a room where you can truly interact with somebody. That's the best way to have a conversation. It's so powerful.
0: On that note, Nick. Congratulations on a big year. We had so many cool things happen last year. And and I just want to take a moment to thank some of the other people whose names you might not hear on the podcast for the listeners. Uh, our publisher, Ian Wheeler, the president of TalkHouse, Dan Petruzzi, our marketing and social guru slash everything, Dave Lucas, and our head engineer, Mark Yoshizumi, who is so often behind the boards and out of public view.
1: Kelly Ann Conway, uh, Chris Christie, there's a whole team there's a whole team
0: (laughs) I'm Elia Einhorn
1: Talkhouse Film Producer I'm Nick Dawson currently about to resign as Talkhouse Films (laughs)
0: Editor-in-Chief thanks for spending this time with us here's to a wild 2017